The CFB Winning Edge 2020 FBS Review Podcast Series is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Support from our patrons help us fund updates, improvements, and special projects. It also keeps our weekly shows ad-free. As part of our review series, our patrons will also receive visuals we refer to during the show, with additional stats, rankings, notes, and more. Visit patreon.com slash cfbwinningedge to sign up. And new in 2021, annual members receive 18% off, two months free on a 12-month subscription. Thank you to all of our patrons for your generous support, and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman, and I am joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And today on the show, we're going to be discussing teams number 110 through 101 in the CFB Winning Edge talent rankings here. And uh, a little bit of news before we jump off and start with the University of Arizona. I know our guy Chad is going to be very excited to hear that team. But uh, Tyler Shook, the Oregon quarterback, entered the transfer portal, Nick. So uh, have we heard about any possible landing destinations and uh, any of that good stuff for him? Well, I believe uh, Shuck is an Arizona product, if if uh, memory serves. I can double check that real quick. So the the only you know initial reaction I saw uh, was, hey, you know, Arizona might be a, a great fit, but you know they've already brought in two uh, two transfers, one of which has starting experience. Uh, so it, it's it's beginning. It went from a, a you know relatively empty. Uh, quarterback room with a couple of guys leaving to already bring in two uh, trans two scholarship transfers in and another who uh, is coming in as a walk on who is a, a P five transfer still but uh, yeah I mean you know talented guy lost a little bit of uh, maybe lost his grip on the starting job it looked like during the bowl game when Anthony Brown uh, the BC transfer came in and, and mm-hmm. looked really good looked like he might have a little bit of an edge in that competition heading into the spring, but still a, a bit of a surprise. I mean, Oregon uh, is a team that I expect will be our highest rated uh, Pac-12 team in the preseason once we get our uh, 2021 power rankings together here in, in the next six weeks or so. Uh, but yeah, a little, little bit of a surprise. Didn't seem like he had a, a stranglehold on the starting job necessarily but still was a returning starter started every game for them last year so uh was you know like like a lot of folks out there uh, a little bit surprised with that news today yeah yes. xavier uh the surprising news that uh he is uh going to be transferring do you have any uh any place you'd like to see him go in particular for him, he is an Arizona kid. So, I, I mean, Arizona is obviously the first thing that you think of when, you know, Nick talks about they already having a crowded quarterback room. That's part of the reason why he left Oregon. Um, according to The Athletic, they were saying right away that, you know, the, the, the crowded quarterback room was one of the reasons why he decided to leave. And so I, I think he staying in the Pac-12 would be the best for him. Um, I think that fits his style the best. I don't have many teams off the top of my head. 
Um, maybe Cal could use a quarterback. Uh, I think that they could use somebody with his experience. And, and I think he should stay in the Pac-12. Uh, I think this is an opportunity for him because he didn't have a bad year. He just didn't have as good of a year as maybe people thought he would. You know, I, I heard early comparisons after the first game that we're looking at maybe Justin Herbert, you know, the next version of him being this another 6'5 mobile quarterback. And I think that that, you know, that high expectation kind of just petered out as the season continued, especially with them losing a couple of games. Uh, and although he was able to bounce back at the bowl game, this is a guy who I think could come into, I'd say, most teams right now and be a contender for the starting job uh, around college football. There's a lot of turnover. Unfortunately, he is in the Pac-12 where the top schools kind of have their guys, you know, USC, uh, Arizona State, UCLA. So, I mean, I would think he would stay there just being a guy on the West Coast. The the school, I guess, looking back at our uh, a few episodes ago when we talked about QB transfers um, mm-hmm. and, you know, during right. I think the news of that day was that Tate Martell said that he was entering the transfer portal. And so, you know, being from Las Vegas, we're like, oh, UNLV Well, actually come to think of it. Marcus Arroyo, who's the head coach at UNLV, was the offensive mm-hmm. coordinator at Oregon when Chuck. Uh, signed to play for the Ducks. So if UNLV is, you know, in the market for a transfer quarterback, that makes a certain amount of sense. Um, just, you know, from a from a relationship standpoint, but also from a team that might be somewhat in need of, of somebody at that position. I remember saying during that show that uh, I thought Tulsa, maybe if, if, you know, somebody was looking for a G5 program uh, to, to have an opportunity to, take over a quarterback position and immediately, uh, you know, be in a position maybe to compete uh, in that conference. Tulsa made a certain amount of sense, even though they had some backups have some success uh, last year, though, with Zach Smith, you know, moving on. Oregon's pretty high profile program, so don't necessarily expect him to have to go to a Mountain West program or or something like that. Uh, But those are, I guess, you know, looking a, a little bit, uh, deeper down the line, you know, if it's not Arizona, maybe something like that makes makes some sense for him. Well, the reason why I said Kyle is Kyle was one of those teams on his recruiting list that had a lot of steam uh, when he was coming out of high school. Uh, another one of those teams, and this might be a fun one. I don't know if he would actually do it, but one of his final three teams, it was Oregon, North Carolina, and Michigan. Uh, could we see him go to Michigan uh, and, and compete for a starting job there? You know, their quarterback room has been in pretty much a complete flux for I don't know how long. So, I mean, since Jim Harbaugh walked on campus, this is, I mean, since Denard Robinson tied his shoes. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I I don't see why not go ahead and compete. You're going to an equally as big, if not a bigger school. So you're not dropping off there and Hey, might as well give yourself a shot, right? Yeah. The only thing I would say with that, they did sign a five-star quarterback this year, JJ McCarthy. So I, I would, Hmm think with with the guys they have coming back with experience and then with him coming in that might be a little too competitive from a from a michigan standpoint i mean I, under, I understand bringing in guys that uh you know if a good quarterback's out there go and get him but me thinking from michigan's uh you know thought is hey we, we've got our quarterback of the future let's you know not not muck it up uh by bringing in another guy that's got you know, starting experience that we would expect to come in. And because and Chuck's got three years of eligibility, he's he's going to be a graduate transfer with three years of eligibility, a former four-star prospect who has a year of starting experience at the Power 5 level. That's that's a pretty unique uh, <laughs> uh, just group of, of 
uh, factors there. So, I mean, he, I'm sure he will have a, a ton of options uh, and plenty that we're not even thinking of. Michigan would make I sense, it. I think, but but uh, just that that one aspect. I mean, he could go there and potentially succeed. He could go there and start. So I'm sure there are are a lot of other programs that haven't even come to mind yet for me uh, where he could have success. I think I've got his perfect landing destination. So scrolling through his 247 page, I noticed that South Carolina was another one of those teams that recruited him. Mm. Uh, and as we well know, South Carolina did not figure out their quarterback situation last year in the slightest. Uh, Colin Hill was also a senior last year, so I don't think that they're going to be relying on him to provide any more snaps or wanting him to provide any more snaps uh, for them going forward. And I think Tyler Show would be one heck of a get for them if they were able to bring him to South Carolina. Uh, he was they, they were one of only – seven teams that actually have a noted recruiter that went out and recruited him while he was in high school. So this might be an opportunity for him. You talked about the three years of eligibility. He not only can fight for his for the starting spot at South Carolina, but he might be the quarterback for the future because it doesn't look like they have one right now. So, Who was that recruiter? That was uh, Kurt Roper. Kurt Roper. He's now the running back. He's now the running backs coach at NC State. Hmm. Wow. So the, it looks like he's got a, a decent amount of options. And like uh, like Nick had mentioned with the resume of, you know, three years of eligibility plus a year of starting experience already, there's going to be plenty of teams, even teams that weren't on his recruiting list that are going to be after him for sure. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's going to take long for him to pick. So we should know that news pretty quick. But let's dive into these teams. We've already spent a little time talking about U of A, University of Arizona. Of course, firing uh, Kevin Sumlin after his 0-5 season here, hiring Jed Fish, who was the quarterback coach of the New England Patriots, as a new head coach. They got Brendan Carroll uh, in as the new offensive coordinator, who was Seahawks' uh, run game coordinator the last few years. Don Brown is the new D.C., and he was the Michigan defensive coordinator and linebackers coach. And they got some big-time transfers, too. Gunnar Cruz from Washington State. Uh, Jordan McLeod from USF. So two quarterbacks, like Nick had said, the quarterback room is already a little clogged up. They got Drake Anderson, the running back out of Northwestern. Our David Diwali from Baylor. Defensive end Jason Harris from Colorado. Linebacker Treshawn Hayward from Western Michigan. And a couple others on defense as well. And uh, for this, <clears throat> excuse me, for this group of teams, the 77th ranked recruiting class is one of the higher ones. So uh, U of A seems to have a little bit of a bright future here after having a rough 2020 season, Nick. Yeah, and, and it's it's interesting. I, I went back and, and uh, tried to watch at least some highlights of, of several Arizona games, and it's easy to forget that Arizona was 30 seconds away from beating USC to, to open the season. And they had two leads in the fourth quarter of that game. Uh, they also had a lead early against UCLA. They had a, a two-touchdown lead early against Colorado. So there were certainly some games where they were very competitive. And, and you know, the, the wheels absolutely came off with the 70-7 uh, to 7, uh, loss to Arizona State, embarrassing loss uh, in, in the season finale. Uh, but they also, you know, were, were blown out by Washington. That score ended up being a lot closer than that game was. I think Washington was up 44 to six, ended up winning that game, uh, what, 44 28, something like that. Uh, but yeah, it, it was a, a, a very strange season. Could have been a lot better, had an opportunity 
to win a couple of games, but, you know, uh, obviously couldn't get it done. And, and then uh, just the, the complete embarrassment at, there at the end uh, made it, you know, there, there really was no choice but to move on from Kevin Sumlin. And, and I was a little bit, uh, you know, the, the Jed Fish hire didn't strike me immediately as, you know, a home run, but digging a little bit deeper into his background. One, I know that there's some concern among the fan base that he's had something like 15 jobs in 22 years. Uh, But he's worked for a lot of big time, you know, college football coaches, a lot of NFL experience, worked for Belichick most recently, uh, worked for Pete Carroll, worked for uh, Steve Spurrier when he got his start, uh, has been at Michigan, has been at UCLA. I mean, he's, he's been, uh, you know, if you're just looking from a resume standpoint, once you dig into it a little bit, he's got a, a pretty good, you know, background and, and a lot of things that you might look for uh, when you're when you're shopping for a new head coach. So, uh, yeah, I like it a little bit more now than I did, I think. And it's been uh, pretty, pretty interesting to, to look on it uh, because you think and I know, he, as I just mentioned, had had plenty of high profile uh, college experience as well. But then coming directly from the NFL, my first thought is, okay, how are they going to recruit? And, you know, is this guy going to be able to uh, identify and appeal to high schoolers at at this point being, you know, removed from it as as much as he has been the last few years working in the NFL and and seem to have a a bit of momentum in, in that direction. Uh, seems to be, you know, really out there, really engaged online and, and seems to be, as you said, it's got some positive momentum on, on the recruiting trail. So, uh, I, I think, you know, taking, taking a step back, the higher I like it a little bit more was definitely concerned that so many high profile guys jumped into the transfer portal, uh, right after Kevin Sumlin was fired. Grant Cannell, starting quarterback being, uh, chief among those, he's landed at Memphis, but uh, obviously, you know, Fish has gone to work in the transfer portal to uh, help shore up that room and, and has a couple of interesting options. Cruz has a big arm, uh, you know, spent some time at Washington State, didn't get to play very much. Jordan McLeod has a lot more athletic ability, but can throw it a little bit too. Had a huge game for USF in his final uh, start there against UCF was was. Uh, responsible for over 400 yards in that game and, and really kind of helped, even though they, they uh, couldn't get the win, helped kind of finish uh, the season on a, a bit of a positive note for USF, but, you know, decides to, to move on for a new opportunity there. It's hard to know what to, to make of Arizona at this point because there are so many different moving parts. They lost uh, really three of their best players on defense before the season even started to the transfer portal because the Pac-12, you know, announced that it was uh, canceling the season. They lost Tony Fields. He went to the West Virginia, goes on and becomes an all-conference performer there. They lost uh, the other uh, linebacker, starting linebacker, Brandon Schooler, went to uh, Texas Tech. He will be back for uh, an extra year, uh, but playing it at uh, Texas Tech next year. They're going to lose their best corner, Lorenzo Burns. Lost uh, defensive lineman Roy Lopez, who was the transfer, was only there one year. He's off to the NFL draft. Uh, They lost one of their starting offensive linemen to transfer to Oklahoma. So, so many different moving parts. Gary Brightwell showed a lot of promise, uh, but he's off to the NFL draft. It's hard to know because I expect that, you know, probably three defensive starters in 2021 will be transfers in their first year. 
probably going to have a starting quarterback who is a transfer. You know, who knows what the, the running back position necessarily is going to look like. So I think I've got more questions about Arizona than I do about just about any team that we've discussed so far. Uh, you know, you, you brought up the new uh, defensive coordinator, Don Brown. I know that things have been trending in the wrong direction at Michigan in, in recent years and on defense specifically, but he ranks 14th in our defensive coordinator uh, ratings just based on a long track record of success prior. And the defense has always been good in Michigan. You know, sure, the, yeah. the offense has been the issue most of the time. That's fair. Right. I mean, I mean, they, they were, uh, you know, exposed in a big way, of course, by Ohio State in back-to-back years, and then this year was not particularly good. But yeah, you're right. The, for the for the complaints a lot of people have had about Michigan uh, over the past few years under under Jim Harbaugh, the defense for the most part hasn't really been the issue. So I don't know. There there are I think reasons to be optimistic. There are are a little bit of you know positive uh, notes here and there, whether it's you know, fish maybe being a little bit better uh, of a fit than I originally thought. Maybe it's, uh, you know, some positive things to take the defensive coaching staff, really old group, by the way, they've got, I think for their uh, assistants on defense are 50 or older. That, that is, to me is a little bit of a concern. That's something I'm, I'm noticing is uh, just across college football as, as we're looking at, you know, staff moves, who's getting younger as a staff and who's, uh, you know, still got an old group. I'm a little bit concerned that, that that defensive coaching staff is so old, but you know, on the flip side, a lot of experience and and there's uh, it, it's though you think, okay, maybe college players might not relate to guys in their fifties and sixties. There I'm sure are still some, some guys at that age who uh, are able to, to really build up those relationships and are able to uh, rely on their, track record of success, their experience, and and will have respect from players. So that's just something that's a, a little bit in my mind as, as I'm looking around. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, really rambling here, but there, there are some positive things about Arizona. There are some negative things uh, about Arizona. I, I just don't know what to make. I think, you know, as, as we're looking ahead a little bit to 2021, the schedule's tough. I mean, two uh, tough out of conference games, BYU and and uh, San Diego State. You know, neither neither will be uh, uh, an easy win by any stretch. And then, uh, you know, they they don't have a great draw out of the Pac-12 North. They play Oregon. They play Washington. Probably one and two in that side uh, of the league. They play Cal, who's going to be uh, I think better in 2021 than they looked in in 2020. Uh, and then Washington State, you know, now has already gotten year one uh, under its new head coach out of the way. So you expect they'll take a step forward. So could be in for another long year, but it wouldn't shock me if they make some progress. I expect them to win, you know, win a game against Northern Arizona. And then uh, I, I I would be, I think, surprised if they can't win a Pac-12 game. But I don't think this is necessarily a team that's going to jump up and and be uh you know uh, gunning for a bowl bit in, in fish's first year yeah and i mean coming off an zero and five seasons Xavier, they did not look anything close to a bowl team last year and that's mm-hmm. this is why we have these massive coaching changes uh you know uh, surprisingly fish like nick said brought in a lot of big time uh, um, transfers um pretty decent recruiting class as well for his first time out um 
But this team has been rough for a little while. So how do you see the future playing out, especially in 2021 for the Wildcats? Yeah, I don't I don't know. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm gonna I'm gonna side with Nick here. I, this is this is a weird team. You know, when you talk about the recruiting class, yes, they rank 77th, but that's almost dead last in the Pac-12 this year. They ranked 11th in the Pac-12. And, you know, and when you look, when you go down the list and, and you really see that they just kind of took what was in home, they, they either recruited Texas, Arizona, or California. That's it. They kind of didn't really branch out a couple of Florida kids here and there, one Washington guy. Um, and I really think, you know, you're absolutely right. Jetfish focused on the transfers this year. He focused on getting guys who have the experience, who can come in and make an immediate impact, and guys that he's not necessarily trying to cultivate. I don't know if that's going to be indicative of what they do in the future, but that's definitely something that to look forward to this year. I don't know if that translates to wins, though. Nick hit it right on the head. They don't have an easy schedule whatsoever, and I personally can't sit here and say that Arizona is going to be able to even beat San Diego State at this current moment. I can't say that with and be confident about that statement. So, I mean, three and nine. So they'll be better than they were last year. But how much better are you actually if you're th- going three and nine as a power five team in the Pac-12? I don't know. You know, so, you know, with such a small sample size this year, I think obviously as most coaches did, most coaches, you get a pass for the COVID, you know, 19 season. Uh, and I think that we'll get a real identity or we'll get a real idea of the identity that he wants to have going into next year. And when I say he, I mean, Jeff Fish. But I don't know if that's going to be any better of an identity coming after next year when we talk, when we have the same conversation in 2020, uh, 2022. I really don't because I don't know how good I, I don't think they're going to be good enough to make us say, wow, we were wrong about them. And I don't know if they'll be bad enough to be in the 130 range next year. So I, I'll give them three wins. I'll give them three max. I, th- I think that would, I think that's certainly realistic. And, and I think that would uh, give some sense of positive momentum mm-hmm. heading into the future. It, it's, you know, it's, it's easy to say this, but it's, it's pretty true that there's just about nowhere to go, but up. I mean, looking at our, our advanced stats. I mean, you know, you, you don't even have to look at the advanced stats. 0-5 <laughs> and getting smashed by Arizona Every, State. Uh, I mean, yes. that is, those are two things at U of A that are just absolutely unacceptable. You yep. know? Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And, and just, you know, real quickly, we're, we're moving out of the, uh, you know, it seems like the last two weeks we've been doing this, this show every all these stats are, are triple digits for every team in every category, just about Arizona pretty much with, with the exception of, of Syracuse here, but pretty much is the only team from this point forward who is triple digits in every category. 121st in net yards per play, 120th in EPA margin, 122nd net points per drive, 110th in net success rate, and 121st in net yards per pass attempt. And, and part of that is they did play it only power five uh, you know, opponents this year. But part of that is, is they just struggled in, in all facets. I mean, there's very little, you know, uh, positive here. The only uh, category out of, out of these that they finished in double digits, they finished 87th in success rate uh, on defense. So success rate, you know, allowed or success rate versus. So uh, yeah, a lot of, lot of uh, room for improvement here in, in just about every every category uh the next team up on the list here is navy uh, they went three and seven and it really you know it was on national tv their first game 
they just got exposed by BYU. 55 to 3 in that opener. I mean, they even had Bill Belichick on the phone boring people to death during that broadcast. It was it was a very strange one. Uh, but um, yeah, they, they did have in this weird 2020 season the biggest comeback in school history by beating Tulane uh 27-24. I believe they're down 24 zip at halftime, something like that, and they came back and won that game. So that was an exciting one for them. And, you know, going into next year, they are going to have nine of 11 uh, returning stars on defense, uh, but not a great recruiting class, which always happens with Navy, 108th ranked in uh, the nation here, Nick. So uh, your outlook on Navy for 2021, and can they improve? Somewhat similarly, I'm not sure what to think about Navy because, uh, you know, in in 2018, they were three and 10. The defense was horrible. Uh, they, they, you know, made some uh, questionable decisions on, on who was playing quarterback and how to best utilize their offensive playmakers. They completely turned it around. One of the best, uh, you know, one-year uh, improvements in FBS history, won 11 games in 2019. Malcolm Perry was one of the, you know, really one of the best players in college football in, in 2019 defense took a huge, huge step forward. And then, you know, three and seven this year, and it was, it was much more of a roller coaster, but it felt like uh, a lot more down than up and, and starting off, you know, that, that week one performance was about as bad as you could uh, fear any team start. I mean, 55 to three, looked just completely overmatched. And we we had no idea how good BYU was at, at that point in the season. But, you know, immediately after or, or you know, that week, we uh, heard there was a lot of talk about how uh, Kenny Matalolo, the head coach, decided that they weren't going to do any live tackling. And so, you know, blame that immediately. But then, uh, you know, just, just a, a terrible way to start. And then they never could get the offense going. I mean, a triple option offense, it, it you know, what, what is the line from Remember the Titans? The uh, it's, it's like Novocaine. You just give it time. It always works. Mm-hmm. And this year they, they just couldn't it, – it didn't work. And, you know, the, the quarterback was not a run threat at all, which is – completely unheard of. I mean, they, they finished 57th in uh, just, you know, your standard uh, rushing offense this year, just rushing yards per game, which is, I think, 50 spots uh, worse than their worst uh, performance since going back to the triple option in 2002. So it just, it, it was a completely uh, foreign feeling that, that they just could not get anything going on offense, the only bright spot really was at fullback. Uh, Nelson Smith kind of took took over that spot. Uh, you know, pushed uh, Jamel Carruthers out of the way, who I was really high on in the preseason. Had had an excellent 2019 uh, at fullback for them, and and you know they just they they couldn't get going. The quarterback wasn't a run threat. Uh, they couldn't get to the pitch. I, I was really kind of disappointed with Chance Warren. Thought he had an opportunity to have a great year as a slot back. He was in the mix in the uh, preseason at quarterback, but I. I really thought they were going to do some interesting, creative things to get him the football. And they just really, really struggled to, you know, get the, you know, to the pitch part of the triple option. So, you know, when the keep isn't a factor, when the pitch isn't a factor, all you can do is give it to the fullback and and, uh, teams were just able to shut them down. And and that was really strange feeling for, for Navy. The defense 
took a big step forward late in the year. There was a period where uh, Navy didn't play for 28 days. And at that point, there was kind of a reset. Uh, by the way, the Navy has a, a really great beat writer. Uh, the, the Capital Gazette in Annapolis does a great job covering Navy. And a lot of teams actually in this group, I think, have among the best uh, beat reporters in the country, Arizona being one, uh, Syracuse, East Carolina, North Texas also get great coverage. Uh, but Got to go yeah. incognito on those Capital articles, though, because uh, you get one free a year. You know, <laughs> well, so. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, hey, support good work. I unfortunately uh, don't, uh, you know, don't live close enough to Annapolis to, to subscribe. But when I do get in there and, and get an article uh, every once in a while, it, it's always it's always a good one. But uh, brought to my attention as I was reading up on, on uh, Navy that, at, you know, during that 28 day period where they didn't have a game, uh, the the you know, the defense was able to go back to basics and really uh, was able to, to use that time to turn around the, you know, the unit. They had struggled up to that point and they were pretty dominant there toward the end of the year. The offense, however, just cratered and it was, was anemic at the end of the season. It seemed they got worse as it was going and the offensive coaching staff just, you know, there, there were you know plenty of quotes from Niamatololo, from uh, offensive coordinator Ivan Jasper, others in, in the in the mix there that they just they they tried doing different things and nothing seemed to work. They they tinkered a little bit too much. Uh, you know, Dalen Morris, you, you brought up the Tulane game, uh, showed that he really could be a factor as a passer, and uh, the wide receiver group actually looking at uh, ahead to 2021 might be the best offensive unit on the roster. So it's, you know, strange. That's not good to think. for Navy. No. And, and, you know, and, and so they tried to lean into that a little bit, but then they also kind of lost their identity and, and then they ended up not being very good at anything and instead of finding, Hey, where can we have success? They, they kind of in a way limited, uh, the success that they kind of had built in there is a, a triple option offense. So, you know, at Navy, there's always transition on the roster. Uh, I'm, I don't know if this is official. I think it, I think it probably is, but I'm under uh, operating under the assumption that all seniors at Navy are gone, uh, that they will not be able to take advantage of that extra year of eligibility. I know it seems like there's a little bit of a different situation at Air Force, so maybe it's not completely uh, set in stone that way. Uh, but at Air Force, there was a situation where guys had an opportunity to sit out the season and keep a year of eligibility at Navy. All these guys that were seniors played, and, and I don't think any of them will be back. But it sounds like uh, they've got a, a Xavier Arlene is, is – uh, going to probably be the quarterback. He is the most athletic guy that got on the field last year, just didn't have any fall camp. And uh, their first year players, the plebes, uh, were not able to even start fall practice when the rest of the team was able to start practice. So he was really, really behind from, you know, just a, a, a knowledge standpoint from getting up to speed there in fall camp. But he showed, had a good game, had over 100 yards against Army uh, running the football. So maybe he's somebody they can build upon. They do have their best defensive player, probably their 
their two best defensive players uh, coming back. Diego Fago at linebacker was an all-conference player. And then Michael McMorris at corner was an all-conference player in, in 2019. Both of those guys were juniors this year and, and uh, should come back. But they've got to do a better job rushing the passer, and, and they've got to just sort of uh, regain their identity on offense. So Navy has bounced back, obviously, and, and if they can get the quarterback position, if, if Arlene or Arline, I apologize if I mispronounce it, if he can be, you know, something uh, closer to Malcolm Perry, it's it's hard to think that there's ever going to be another Malcolm Perry, but uh, he does have some similar characteristics. But if, he, if they can recapture that a little bit, uh, and if Carruthers can, you know, get back in, in the swing of things there at fullback and, and you know, if the offensive line takes a step forward and, and Hey, if that wide receiver group can uh, keep defenses honest a little bit, uh, then I think there's certainly a chance that, that we will see maybe take another step toward, you know, getting back into regular bowl eligibility, regular commander in chief uh, trophy, uh, you know, competition, but it's this year was so strange for them and, and so out of the ordinary I don't know if that's a sign of what's to come or if we should just write it off. Hey, 2020 was weird for everybody. It was especially weird at Navy. Things will be back to normal in in 2021. I I don't have a great read on it at this point. Yeah, I think a big part of of Navy uh, in having this rough year, Xavier, was just the fact that to get this offense down, you need timing, you need practice, you need uh, a, a good offseason, you need time to make that happen. And in 2020, nobody had time you know it wasn't just navy it was a lot of these teams so uh that rhythm being off really made them uh rough on offense so your thoughts about tw- uh navy for 2021 and moving forward xavier yeah i'm gonna throw away last season for navy i really am uh when you look at last season i think that once again to run a triple option we saw how much it took and remember the titans for them to learn the veer uh I, <laughs> i'm gonna say right now it's probably 10 20 times as hard to learn the triple option nick didn't you run the triple option or a form of it at one point in your life? Well, the beer is a triple option. But, but, yeah, but, but. In, in high school, yeah. We, we, uh, when, I was, uh, when I was playing in high school, we were a little behind the times. Old school, uh, you know, basically wishbone, which is, of course, not, not what Navy is. But, but yeah, based, based in the beer, very, very similar. Navy is, is more modern and, and does more things than we did. But, modern, but yeah. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna throw air quotes around the word modern when we talk. About <laughs> well, I mean, Navy's is interesting. They they do, and the run and shoot is not necessarily modern anymore. I mean, it was popular in the eighties, right? Eighties and early nineties. But it's it's uh, it's unique, and and they do have their passing, uh, at least in in years past, has had a little bit of a, a run and shoot influence to it. But I don't know. They they do some interesting things. But you know, like this year, this past year, they they. Uh, tried to do some, you know, too many things and, yep. and just were not good at anything. But yeah, I mean, you would you would expect they'll get back to basics, back to that, uh, you know, that that flex bone uh, triple option that we're mm-hmm. used to, uh, and just sort of get it back up to speed if they're able to have a full, you know, fall camp lead up to and and all that. Uh, but yeah, no, I I, I, I long ago have have some playing experience in, in a, a veer based uh, system, but it, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. I would, you know, I was just, 
because I think that once again, when we talk about Navy, we have to talk about once again, like we I've alluded to, it takes a while to get this offense down. Heck, it takes just as long to get the offense down as it takes for opposing teams to get it down defensively. So we are we can only imagine the nuances to that offense that well, you know, the defense doesn't have to worry about every week, you know, that's playing against them. So I can only imagine what it would be like to just be thrown into a triple option right now, which is what a lot of those kids had to do, had to do last year. So I'm going to throw away last year. I'm going to call it a misnomer uh, because when you look at Navy, like you, like you said, Scott, Navy recruiting is something you just don't care about. You know, they could, yeah. unless they pull a four or five star somewhere, you're just like, they could sign 75 two stars. By the time they're seniors, they could all go, you know, they could go 10 and one with those guys. So like you never really gauge Navy based off their ability to recruit. Uh, and, and so I think I'm going to take it as a misnomer. Uh, I haven't seen their schedule going into next year. I can have that in just a second, but I would be able to say, okay, so we have it. And I think when I look at it, it's not much easier than last year, but I'll give them like three to four wins. That's what I'm comfortable giving them to as of right now, just looking at it without having like go through every single one of them. Cause obviously they play in the AAC. So they're going to have that. And that conference is going to be as difficult as it's always been. And their non-conference games are Marshall air force and Notre Dame. And so I'll maybe give them, and Army, yes. And so I'll maybe gave them two or three out of those four, and then they can find maybe one against Eastern Carolina. There, there we go. There's three. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's a building process for Navy, and they get. I I, I think you're mm-hmm. absolutely right about how uh, you know Navy right now coming off three and seven. Give them two years, they could be ten and one. So this is what happens with Navy all the time. So. Uh, wouldn't be that surprising. The next team up here is Syracuse at one and ten. I don't even know what to say about them. Uh, this has got to be Baber's last shot. I mean, uh, kind of surprised he lasted here, but uh, Tom, Tommy DeVito is coming back, which is big for them. He's been uh, a good quarterback. And out of all of the teams that we're going to talk about today, they do have the best recruiting class, fifty seventh in the mm-hmm. nation for Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Um, they they do have eleven players transferring out though, so it's. It's a revolving door at Syracuse right now, uh, Nick. And, you know, th- this team played Clemson tough a couple years ago. Um, they have some upsets on their resume, but uh, they seem to be moving in the wrong direction right now. Yeah, I mean, this this year was pretty much a, a disaster for, for Syracuse. And, and they were obviously very disappointing in 2019, coming off a 10-win season in 2018. But this year... It just it, it felt like the bottom just completely fell out. And there were it, it's I, I struggle with this a little bit. I think I think I have said this before uh, on on this show. But when I'm looking back at 2020, I'm, I'm trying to remind myself to take positive things and, and uh, can apply those to 2021. But for the most part, the negative things try not to to think about them too much because some of these things might just sound like excuses. Some of these things are, you know, are excuses perhaps. And, and uh, you know, Syracuse had a ton of injuries. They, they were, uh, you know, completely uh, decimated in the secondary by both injuries and opt-outs there. They're, they're losing three uh, guys to the NFL draft. Probably, you know, all three have a, a good chance to be, uh, drafted. So, you know, that is, is certainly an issue. They had their top two running backs opt out prior to the season. They started fall camp 
late, later than, you know, even expected after everything finally got going because uh, there were player concerns over uh, safety protocols on campus and, and within the program. So, you know, that's not a good uh, starting point. DeVito got hurt, you know, wasn't able to play after, uh, what, mid-October. And, you know, then you're kind of have a bit of a revolving door at the quarterback position. Rex Culpepper, uh, they had a couple of freshmen that they threw in there. Nobody was really able to have any success, uh, sustained success. So, you know, uh, you know, there, there was a, a high-profile uh, issue where your best offensive player, Taj Harris, has to be suspended because uh, he gives the bird to a, a television camera on national television, on, uh, sitting on the sidelines. So there were there were moments both, uh, you know, on the field that you kind of can't, uh, you know, that, that just sort of happen, injuries. There are off-the-field things that you can't really control, things related to uh, the virus. And, and then you have other things that are self-inflicted wounds, just a, a, perhaps a sign that, uh, you know, there, there maybe are some issues under the surface that uh, must be addressed if this team is going to take a, a step forward. So another difficult team to peg down, uh, but, you know, I, I, I try to draw a little bit on some positives here. Sean Tucker, true freshman running back, had a really solid season. They actually ended up with a couple of, of running backs that, uh, you know, had had some success. Him him being, of course, the uh, leading rusher, but then Cooper Lutz had a, a, you know, strong end to the season. Those guys both went over 100 yards against Notre Dame. Was a bit of a, you know, decent uh, way to end they played Clemson pretty well this year. Uh, had a you know it, it, that was a close game early on. They upset Georgia Tech. Uh, that was of course their only win. But then you know later in the year, the offense just really couldn't get going. Only scored fourteen against Wake Forest, thirteen against Boston College. Got shut out by Louisville. Louisville, of course, not a, a, a defensive powerhouse by any stretch. So. You know, Sean Tucker, maybe a building block there on office. Taj Harris has a lot of, of uh, talent. Uh, I'm a little bit surprised, actually, he didn't jump to the NFL. I mean, this guy that got targeted over 100 times this year, went for 130-plus yards twice. Um, it, it, I think does have the potential to, to play on Sundays eventually. Uh, Mikel Jones at linebacker really was a, a solid performer, was you know credited as being the leader of the defense. Garrett Williams, redshirt freshman, uh, had eight production points according to our numbers this year, really you know put together a, a solid uh, redshirt freshman season, looks like the next really good uh, defensive back. And, and they have had a string of, of guys who've been very good. They've had All-Americans. Andre Sisco was a preseason All-American. Uh, Trill Williams is, a, you know, I think going to get drafted. Those guys are, are going to be, you know, missed, but for the most part, were, were not a factor uh, in 2020. So uh, try, trying to pick up some positives. They do have a lot of returning production, going back to Bill Connolly's numbers uh, that were released a couple of years ago. They are the most experienced team on this list heading into next year, ranked 26th overall, uh, 26th on offense, only 45th on defense. They are bringing in Garrett Schrader, former uh, starter at Mississippi State, to compete with DeVito at quarterback. You know, DeVito has not been a, a run threat, and when Syracuse won 10 games a couple of years ago, 
Eric Dungy, who was very much a, a run threat, uh, was there. So maybe adding that element to uh, the offense might, you know, if he's able to, to beat DeVito out and win that job, hold off the uh, true, you know, from last year, the true freshman, maybe that gives him a, a jump, uh, maybe a little bit more uh, athletic ability at the quarterback position might finally get this offense, uh, you know, going back in the right direction again. So uh, similar, I, I feel like a little bit of a broken record and it, it seems like a little bit of a departure over, you know, when we were talking about guys in the or teams in the one twenties and, and the one team one tens, I felt like it was a lot more positive and, and had a little bit better read on those teams, but like well, those Arizona, teams have like nowhere Navy. to go but up, Nick. I mean, we're kind of we're we're wading into the, you know, uh, could go either waters. Way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, these teams could get better, but they could stay the same. So sure. I I understand where you're coming from with that. Yeah, and and you know, Syracuse. It's it's hard to think that it could get worse than one in ten, but there's not there's not a game on the 2021 schedule that is a guaranteed win, even the FCS opponent, Albany, it, you know, we're going to get to see them a little bit this spring. Uh, I believe they are top 15 in uh, Vegas odds as far as to win the FCS national championship. So conceivably that's a game that you could end up losing. And, and then Ohio has been tough in the Mac. We talked about Rutgers moving in the right direction. Liberty of course was so good last year. And then the ACC schedule, uh, you know, they're they're they don't have the absolute toughest draw, but there's not an automatic win by any stretch. And so it could be another really tough season. Uh, you, you you brought up the point, you know, is Dino Babers on the hot seat? You have to think after 10 losses, uh, he absolutely you know will be if they don't take a big step forward. Have to think that his job is is in serious jeopardy. You know, is he going to be able to turn it around with some? you know, little building blocks here and there. It's hard for me to see a path to, you know, a, a big step forward unless they get uh, a lot of guys coming back for that extra year. And it does sound like their strongest position group, the defensive line ranks 35th in our uh, talent rankings. One of the top units uh, of any team we'll talk about today is going to get multiple seniors back for that extra year. So, you know, maybe that's a little bit of momentum, a little bit of positivity that you can uh, spin, turn that into, uh, you know, uh, something to build upon in 2021. But it's it's difficult for me to, to wrap my head around this being a team that can challenge for a bowl bid next year. Syracuse in 2021, uh, Xavier. I mean, I think you pointed this out a couple times and – uh, I, I think about it often when you said that, look, if you're returning a bunch of starters that were one in 10, uh, that may not be the best thing for your program. I mean, uh, and that's, you know, Syracuse bringing back a lot of talent at, or a lot of starters, as uh, Nick said, um, that I, I feel like Syracuse is almost one of those teams that has no place to go but up. But like Nick said, not a winnable game on the schedule. Uh, it looks a little rough right now. Yeah, because it, it was funny when he said the Tommy DeVito will be healthy next year. I was like, is that a good thing? I don't know. Uh, you know, you know, healthy, great for him, obviously, be healthy. But great for Syracuse football, still out to be seen. We, we don't know what he'll look like after coming back from injury uh, in, a, in a full sense next year. We saw him a little bit this year, and he was pretty average. Uh, when we look at Syracuse from a recruiting standpoint, once again, Syracuse is one of those weird teams that has to do a lot of development. You know, being up there in New York, 
they don't draw first off new york's not really a football state so they struggle up there to really compete uh they struggle to compete with even people for uh, kids from pennsylvania uh kids from new jersey because of how many universities are already up there you know you've got to compete with got likes of rutgers and temple and Pitt and more you know the, the northeast is very the, the talent there is, is there's not a lot of top tier talent in that part of the country and so they really struggle on the recruiting uh trail they finished dead last this year in the ACC, uh, according to 247 Sports. That's not a good sign. They finished 10th the year before. Uh, that So that tells you that they've even dropped there. However, and this is we've seen this kind of reoccurring throughout you know, our conversations with these teams, they finished higher nationally. Finished worse in the conference, but finished higher nationally uh, going into this year. Once again, I don't know if that's based because 247 hasn't been able to watch these kids due to COVID, so they've kind of just had to keep them where they are from the previous years or you know what that what that whole scenario is but this got to be Dino Babers last year if they go bad again you you really think they got to be done uh if 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 he goes he's got to make a bowl game in my opinion to even keep his job i think that's his that's it because his record yeah, i can't there, believe he's still back yeah uh, I, 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 I can't I, believe they brought him back you know nick brought it up brought it up you know way way long ago when he was talking about he feels like a lot of coaches will get you know second chances due to the fact it's covid and I was like, okay, cool. But Dino Babers hasn't had a great seat, a great time of it at Syracuse whatsoever. So what is he holding on to? You know, he, it's not like Harbaugh with Michigan where they went three and, and what is it, three and five this year, but he's got a, a bunch of winning seasons to back up. Dino Babers doesn't have that. And so you've got to think maybe after this year, he's gone, you know, because I thought him and Derek Mason were both going to get fired around the same time, personally. But Hey, he's got a lifeline. I think Syracuse can win three games. When you look at their schedule, Ohio, Rutgers, Albany, and Liberty are their non-conference games. I think they can win maybe two, maybe two of those games. I'm not giving them a leg up on either Ohio or Rutgers, maybe against Liberty or Albany, maybe. Uh, But when you look at their ACC schedule, not much easier. They've got, you know, so I think three games is perfectly good. That's where I think they'll go. Maybe four. Maybe they'll eke out one win in the ACC, but three or four wins is where I got them. Yeah, uh, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a weird year for Syracuse once again this year. Uh, the next team up is Middle Tennessee State. Uh, they were three and six, first back to back losing season since 2010, 2011 mm-hmm. for uh, Middle Tennessee. They ended their season early due to COVID. Longtime OC Tony Franklin left, and it was uh, a ugly. Uh, leaving for him, so you can dive into that if you want. But uh, Kansas OC uh, Brent Deerman is taking over there. Asher O'Hara is transferring out, but they do have Bailey Hockman transferring in from NC State. Not a great recruiting class for them either, 124th ranked here, Nick. Oh, so God. Uh, Middle Tennessee, we've seen some talent come out of the school. Asher O'Hara, we were all excited to see this year, and obviously just a terrible year for Middle Tennessee. So uh, what do you think about their future in 2021? Yeah, uh, Middle Tennessee is a, a bit of a, uh, <laughs> again, a, a little bit of a tricky team to get a, a read on because I, I thought that their uh, disappointment in, in 2019 was kind of a one-year blip. Had, had a pretty uh, high expectation for Middle Tennessee in 2020, and then they just, you know, really stumbled out of the gate I thought, and, and Asher O'Hara, who I was so excited to watch play, and, and you know, just from a 
pure, uh, you know, he was the Middle Tennessee offense. And that's not necessarily a good thing, but, you know, when he wasn't throwing it, he was, he was running it. And that, you know, is, is fun to watch sometimes. And that's part of the reason why he ranked among uh, the highest uh, of our, our, you know, preseason projections of our, our CFF uh, numbers and DFS numbers. I thought actually O'Hara had the opportunity to be like a top three quarterback in college football from a points per game standpoint. And just absolutely, uh, they stumbled out of the gate. And, and I, I thought that there was a, a good chance that Middle Tennessee was just going to completely fall apart and that we would see the Rick Stockstill era come to an end. It just had that that same feeling of, uh, you know, George O'Leary's last year at UCF, June Jones's last year at SMU, where, you know, things are, are clicking along, having some success for a long time under a, uh, you know, coach that's that has had success, and then just the wheels completely fall off. But to their credit, uh, Middle Tennessee didn't really let that happen. To, to Stockstill's credit, didn't didn't let that happen. Got the win over FIU. The offense took a big step forward. Middle of the year, scored over thirty one or scored over thirty in that game. Had thirty five and a loss to North Texas. Put forty up on Rice, which is actually, as we'll talk about a little bit later, pretty impressive. They were incredibly lucky to win that game. There was like a double uh, double doink missed field goal for Rice to, to uh, end up giving Middle Tennessee the win, but still able to put up 40 points in, in that game, relatively impressive. And they were able to beat Troy in, in the uh, final game of the year, uh, got revenge for a game they lost 47 to 14 in week two, end up playing Troy again at the end of the regular season and, and get a win. So they, they do enter the offseason with a little bit of positive momentum. I think Britt Dearman as the new offensive coordinator is uh, a, a, you know, good hire. I, I was pretty high on Dearman uh, when he was at Kansas, thought that they showed some improvement when they uh, had him start calling the plays at the end of the 2019 season. 2020 wasn't great necessarily, but uh, was a bit surprised that Middle Tennessee was able to, to pull him away from Kansas and, and think there's really some reason to be optimistic about Bailey Hockman, about uh, Brett Deerman. It's going to depend a lot on who comes back because the, the roster was pretty old. Uh, the, the top three receivers in our depth charts are all were all seniors in uh, 2020. Don't know yet if they're coming back. Uh, they did add a, a transfer wide receiver from Auburn, who I have to think is, is going to be in line for a pretty heavy role. Uh, Jashawn Sheffield, who was on campus last year, but but did not play. Uh, so, you know, have to think that he's going to give Hawk, uh, Hickman a, a pretty good, Hawkman a, a pretty good, uh, you know, top tier target there, uh, at least from a pure talent standpoint. But, you know, uh, it, it's it's a difficult team to peg because, you know, O'Hara is gone. The offense is going to look completely different. It, it was a shot to my heart to find out that O'Hara uh, transferred to the FCS level. Uh, that, that definitely hurt me in a, a couple of CFF spots. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's going to be a completely new look offense. They're, they are for sure losing – their best offensive lineman, Robert Jones, guy who went to the Senior Bowl, probably going to get drafted. 
couple of their best players on defense are seniors. Reed Blankenship, former all-conference player. DQ Thomas, former all-conference player. Uh, so don't know for sure yet if those guys are going to be coming back. Gregory Great is in line to come back, was an all-conference uh, defensive back this past year. So he's somebody you can build around a little bit on defense. But it, it's really going to depend on – a lot of those transfers that you mentioned, including a couple of P5 running backs who opted out prior to the 2020 season. Not sure what the situation is with those guys uh, as far as if they're still on campus, if they're coming back. So I kind of need to, to see the dust settle a little bit for Middle Tennessee, uh, especially just from a uh, you know returning production standpoint. But a lot of that production walked out the door when Asher O'Hara left. So I, I don't know necessarily, despite Stockstill being able to kind of steady things in, in the middle of the season and even end on a bit of a high note, Middle Tennessee doesn't necessarily feel like they are a program trending in the right direction. I, I do think there's still a chance that this, you know, just could completely blow up and they end up going through a, a you know, two win, one win, winless type season. I, I think that that is possible. Fortunately, Conference USA, as we've said many times, and I'm sure we'll say a couple more times today, is completely wide open. So it's it's also not out of the realm of possibility that they jump back into a bowl game uh, if they do get a lot of those seniors back, if they do uh, hit on a couple of those transfers, especially at the quarterback position. But, man, I, I, I see such a wide range of scenarios. I, 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 I think that this, if I were to bet, Middle Tennessee is one of those teams, I think, that is in danger of sliding a bit further back in, in 2021. Uh, and, and Xavier, your thoughts on, on Middle Tennessee? I mean, doesn't it doesn't look great. Asher O'Hara leaving is, of course, like Nick mentioned, huge and very disappointing. He's going to the FCS level, so we won't be able to draft him in any of our CFF leagues this year. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Middle Tennessee looks like a program that, a lot like Syracuse, they're they're about ready. They're probably going to be looking for a, a new head coach at the end of 2021. Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of hit on it before we even got started talking about them, or when we first started talking about them, about the fact that they are finishing 124th in recruiting nationally. And that's awful. But what's more indicative of how, how they may be sliding and that the slide is just going to continue until they maybe change the head coach, is the fact that they didn't even recruit in-state well. You know, typically for Middle Tennessee State, Middle Tennessee is one of those teams that benefits uh, from three stars in the state of Tennessee. They're really able to pick up on the guys who don't end up going to Tennessee or don't end up in Vanderbilt or one of those guys, you know, who, who can now come in and make an impact for their university as maybe a, a lower, a mid-tier or a higher-tier three-star. They were only able to bring in two kids from the state of Tennessee this year. And this is a year where a lot of teams, and we've talked about it earlier, and we've talked about it in, in past episodes, where a lot of teams have been have not recruited or have stayed packed with the teams that they currently have. And if I'm Middle Tennessee, that should be more indicative of how we're sliding than in past years. We weren't even able to recruit our own state well. We were only able to bring in 11 kids, uh, uh, excuse me, 12 kids and four transfers. Uh, so making it 16 total. Yes, they bring in the Tory Johnson out of Georgia, which I think he could be an impact player for them right away. But we're still waiting on papers for him. He hasn't been able to uh, get his appeal approved yet to be an immediate player. Uh, Nick, you can tell me, or Scott, you can tell me, has Hawkman been approved yet? Is it, is um, it? I, I think he's been approved. 
I, th- I don't I know think if he's in the so. NFL. I think he's a. I, I think he's a grad transfer. Grad I, could, I could be wrong about that. But again, uh, we're we're sort of operating under the assumption that, that, that there'll be a one-time transfer. And this is what Hockman's fourth school. <laughs> he was at Florida State, NC State, and junior college. So he's probably graduated by now. I don't know. I would. I would <laughs> hope so. But I mean, hey, it happens. And he called this move a business decision. So. I assume he means he's ready to start from day one. Uh, Middle Tennessee just does not look like a team that's trending in the right direction. We've seen in previous episodes that there are some teams that are behind them that on a recruiting trail at least are making waves, even in the transfer portal are making waves. Right now, Middle Tennessee is sliding, and it doesn't look good for them. Uh, When you pull up their schedule for next year, they play Monmouth. Don't know much about Monmouth, so I won't speak on them winning or losing that game. I'm going to say they're going to win that game just because (laughs) – Monmouth, too. It's a first glance. Monmouth isn't a team that uh, puts fear in my heart. Not an FCS power, right? Okay. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. a winnable um, game, right? They also have UConn on their schedule next year. That's two wins. I'm gonna stop there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll stop there. You know, you look at the rest of the schedule: Liberty, Marshall, Old, Old Dominion. I mean, they they do have winnable games. It, it okay, would take Old Dominion. Yeah, it yeah. would take something. Uh, you know, maybe my my thought that things could just completely uh, fall apart and they end up winning one game or something like that. That that might be a little bit of a reach because there are there are winnable games, but it just doesn't it just doesn't I mean, feel great. I just don't love the vibe right now that I'm getting around. I feel like a lot of people would have said there were winnable games last year and they finished three. You know, they they and they maybe would have finished worse. Because the games that got canceled were against Charlotte and UAB, so maybe they don't win those games either, and they would have finished three and nine. So, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, we we, we say that there's winnable games on the schedule, but they've got to go out there and perform. I don't like Middle Tennessee to win over three, and I'll stay pat at three. Yeah, I, I think I think three is, uh, you know, it's going to be in that neighborhood for sure this year. It doesn't look good for Middle Tennessee. Right. Uh, Rice, on the other hand, uh, I feel like is. Uh, a team that you know they only went two and three. They had the season uh, start uh, start delayed by COVID, and there was some question as to whether Rice was even going to play or not. Um, but they scored thirty points twice, and they only did that twice in twenty nineteen while playing twelve games as opposed to the five games they played here. Uh, their offensive coordinator Jerry Mack did leave for Tennessee recently, and they have the ninety third ranked recruiting class in the nation. Nick, so. Um, uh, I think I uh, didn't tra- I think Trammell left for the NFL as well. So he was one of their best players. So, uh, they were moving in the right direction, but losing their offensive coordinator and their best player in Austin Trammell definitely doesn't help for them moving forward. Yeah. And they, they lost their best, uh, who I would argue their best overall player, uh, linebacker blaze Aldridge transferred to, uh, Missouri, one of the most productive linebackers in, in college football the last couple of years. So, uh, despite that, though, I, I do feel like this is the first team we've talked about today where I do have a real positive feeling about Rice. And it, it makes me a little bit nervous that they are losing those those uh, two best players. But it, I think their quarterback, Mike Collins, is going to take advantage of that extra year of eligibility. He's another well-traveled quarterback. But uh, when he was in the lineup last year, uh, and he only was able to play in three games, but Rice was far and away a, a better offense when he was on the field. I mean, he had a 10 to 1 touchdown to interception ratio, averaged 9.3 yards 
per pass attempt. That is uh, really solid. I mean, if you could project that to a full season, you're able to extrapolate that to 12 games. I mean, we're, we're really talking about an, an impressive uh, stat line at, at the end of the day. Unfortunately, he was, again, only on the field for three of those five games, and he is a senior uh, who is already, you know, at least one degree in hand. So who knows if, if he will for sure take advantage of, of that extra year of eligibility. But I thought based on what I, I saw uh, a couple of weeks ago, it, it sounds like there's a pretty good chance he will be back. And Jake Bailey, uh, who actually ended up leading the team in uh, targets and receptions, did really take a, a step forward there at, at uh, wide receiver gave them more weapons to work with in addition to Austin Trammell. So, uh, you know, you, you think, okay, your, your uh, quarterback hopefully will come back. He did uh, make a, a lot of, uh, you know, made help them make strides on offense. One of your top receivers, a, a, an emerging talent there, they had a, a true freshman who led them in rushing, and then they also expect to have who probably is is maybe – you know, a little bit more talented. Uh, Jumo Odaveno, a, a, a sophomore last year, is also expected to come back. Kalen Griffin was the true freshman who led them uh, with 249 uh, rushing yards last year. But, you know, I, I feel like there is some real positive momentum on offense. And, and they did have an all-conference tight end as well, who, oddly enough, was the only player to rush for a uh, touchdown for Rice last year, <laughs> strangely, but uh, yeah. Anyway, you know there there are some pieces I think to be real optimistic. Despite losing your play caller, uh, I think that's still Mike Bloomgren, their head coach's, you know, uh, offense for the for the most part. They're they're kind of doing what uh, you know. I, I don't expect them to uh, change their identity, even though they they did lose their offensive coordinator, going on to be the running backs coach at, at uh, Tennessee. But beyond that, there are actual this is this is the the first unit we've discussed in this series in, in two and a half shows. There's an actual good unit. Rice's defense <laughs> is good. <laughs> uh, it, it was good last year. And losing Aldridge will will hurt a little bit. They did lose also a, another former uh, starter from the secondary transferred to North Texas. But, okay, here we go. They ranked in the top 50 in yards per play allowed. That's decent. Ranked 46. Not not bad. They ranked 16th in expected points added per play on defense. They ranked 19th in points per drive allowed on defense. They Struggled a little bit against the pass, 89th in yards per pass attempt allowed, but then 34th in uh, success rate against on defense. So this is actually a top, you know, 25 type defense on the field. From a talent standpoint, it is not. And so that's that's a little bit of an issue. You guys bring up the recruiting, uh, you know, the, the recruiting ratings, and that's a, a bit of a concern. And as far as our roster strength numbers go, uh, the defense ranked at the end of the year 111th, and that includes Aldridge, who was a 100 maximum rated player. Uh, so, you know, that number is probably going to fall a little bit in 2021 just from a talent standpoint. From an overall roster strength standpoint, they rank 120th. On this list that we're talking about today, only Navy at 123rd, who, as Javier mentioned, you know, might sign 75 two-star players uh, in, in each cycle 
they're the only team that has a, a you know, from a t- pure talent standpoint, a, a weaker roster to start with. So Rice, you know, there are, I think, some real reasons to be optimistic. I think the style of play is a bit of an advantage now. I mean, old school, you know, I formation type stuff, uh, two tight ends on the field a lot, uh, full back, kind of an endangered species, still a part of that offense. It's a little bit now of an advantage that it's something that teams don't prepare for that often. They play a slow pace, very methodical on offense, helps limit the uh, opposing team, you know, offensive possessions. So that I think is is some of the reason why maybe you know we could be skeptical that they finished in the top twenty-five in total defense or things like that. But digging deeper into those advanced stats, those those efficiency metrics per drive per play, they stack up pretty well on defense. So I, I think that they will be able to carry that over even without their best player on defense, and, and you know potentially without their best offensive player as well. Reason to be a little bit concerned, but you know, from a, from an on the field standpoint, it shows me that that they are you know schemed up pretty well and, and coached up really well. I have to think that that Rice is built to overcome a talent disadvantage, which they're going to be at a talent disadvantage most weeks. But just they're they're continuing to uh, get better and better each year under Bloomgren, and, and I think last year. Despite what ended up being a, a you know losing record and, and certainly a lot of uh, difficult situations with with getting on the field and staying on the field, I think there's some real momentum for Rice. I, I think that they do have an opportunity to you know take that next step, become at least a mid tier Conference USA team. They probably already are, uh, quite honestly. But but you know to really be a threat. Uh, to, to go to a bowl game next year. Probably should. We probably should expect Rice to be in a bowl game next year. So uh, for, for, you know, finally, the fifth team we're talking about today, I, I do have a real optimistic sense uh, for somebody. And, and I think Rice is moving in the right direction despite, you know, some talent uh, deficiencies. Uh, Xavier, are, are you holding the same, uh, you know, amount of enthusiasm for Rice's 2021 season as Nick? Good defense, uh, offense turned on late. What do you think? Yeah, never fear about the talent deficiency, Nick. Recruiting is here. They recruited really, really well. They finished fifth in Conference USA this year in recruiting. Uh, that's out. That's after finishing 11th in the previous season. I think people are starting to notice that maybe they've got something going at Rice. Um, on top of that, obviously. They were able to bring in two transfers, both of which uh, we'll see what kind of impact they want. One's a dual threat quarterback from Weber State. The other one is a uh, three-star wide receiver from New Mexico. But I love what they did recruiting-wise this year. You know, they finished 93rd nationally. That's four spots higher than what they finished last year in 97th. They're trending upwards. And I think Rice, when you look at their schedule last year, the games that they lost, they were in every single one of them. They lose in double overtime to Middle Tennessee State. They lose by five to UAB. They lose by 10 to North Texas. Um, these are all games that, you know, you maybe, maybe you know, a drop pass here or a false start there. And those complete games could be completely different. We could be looking at a team that could have won four and one last year in all realistic, in all reality. Uh, uh, fun fact for you guys in this year's schedule, they only leave the state of Texas three times to play football. They play, they somehow scheduled the big eight 
for their first three games <laughs> playing Arkansas, Houston, and Texas. I don't know who. That's Southwest Conference, baby. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't, I'm not a, a historian, Nick. I hey, apologize. Southwest <laughs> Conference. Those are, those are old Southwest Conference rivals. Arkansas, historian. Houston, and Texas. Yeah. Anything that happened before you were born, historian. Yes. <laughs> the Southwest Conference is old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come true. on. <laughs> uh, but, I, you know, when you look at the schedule, I don't think they'll win any of their non-conference games outside of maybe uh, Texas Southern. Uh, on, 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 you know, this, so they'll go one and three in their conference. Uh, in non-conference. And they'll scare Texas to death. You know, that's the game that Texas is mm-hmm. going to win. 20, yeah. 24, 21, something like that. Yeah, 55 <laughs> to 10. <Yeah. laughs> if that game is that close, Nick, Scott's going to personally cuss you out in the group match <laughs> on that Saturday. Uh, but I, think I mean, I, uh, Rice versus Texas was mentioned by JFK. You know, that's I, right. uh, why, why does Rice why? play Texas? We choose to do these things not because they're easy, but because they are hard. <laughs> Come on. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, but so I think Rice could eat. I think Rice, when we go get into the conference schedule, is really where they were, they're going to have to show the growth, especially offensively, like Nick alluded to. You know, they played UTSA, UAB, North Texas, Charlotte. The list goes on, but I think they could get four wins out of this conference schedule. I think they can beat UTEP. I think they can beat West with Western Kentucky. Uh, there's some turnover going on at that university. I think UTSA is a game that they can stay in. Heck, they almost beat UAB last year, although UAB was having what we would deem deem a down year. I think they could beat UAB. Louisiana Tech, we've talked about them earlier in, in, in earlier episodes. I think that's a game that they can win. I think Rice is a team that's right on the cusp of bowl eligibility. I'm not going to go on that ledge and say they'll do it, but I'll go ahead and give them four to five points. Uh, all right. So the next team up on the list here after Rice is Eastern Michigan. Uh, they were two and four, but uh, they, there's definitely some positives coming for this team. They won their last two games of the season, uh, scoring a combined 94 points. So they really got that offense on track. Uh, They were 100% scoring in the red zone last year, tied with Washington State for obviously number one in the country. Uh, Linebacker Terry uh, uh, Myrick uh, was 11th in the nation in tackles. They got in a decent quarterback transfer in Ben Bryant from Cincinnati. Uh, 103rd ranked recruiting class, so not uh, you know amazing at recruiting, but there's some light at the end of the tunnel for Eastern Michigan, Nick. Yeah, I think so. And, and uh, you know, bringing in Ben Bryant, that's a that's a pretty big pull uh, for Eastern Michigan, who has a, a pretty good quarterback already at Preston Hutchinson, who was a uh, definitely, you know, a legitimate dual threat through for 1600 yards and, and 12 touchdowns, ran for eight touchdowns, 192 yards on the ground and has has, you know, really kind of uh, helped this maybe be the best offense, uh, the chance to be the best offense of, of any team that we're talking about today. They finished 42nd in our offensive team performance ratings last year, uh, which is the best of any team that we've discussed so far. Arizona was 121, Navy 110, Syracuse 124, Middleton C 105, Rice 91. So we're talking a pretty big jump here. And the only team that we will talk about who finished ahead of them uh, is North Texas, who was 37th. So very similar. And North Texas had really some dynamic offensive players, had an All-American receiver, had a, a you know, a, 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 a 
uh, track star at, at quarterback and, and really put up some big numbers offensively. Eastern Michigan was able to you know, pretty much replicate that uh, from just an overall offensive uh, team performance standpoint. So, you know, they, they do have some reason to feel optimistic offensively. 54th in uh, our adjusted yards per play numbers, 55th in uh, EPA per play on offense, 37th in points per drive. That's better. That is better than North Texas. North Texas finished uh, 41st there. They finished 21st in success rate nationally. Uh, That is offensively the best of of any team in any of our our five major advanced stats uh, categories, which, by the way, all of these rankings – uh, everything that I'm referencing here is available to our patrons uh, after each show. We do uh, post these notes because there's just not enough time to, to talk about every every you know bit of information here. But we do uh, share all of that with with our patrons. But you know, Eastern Michigan, a lot of of good uh, offensive numbers looking ahead to uh, 2021. Now, the only thing to be a little bit you know wary about is. All of these did come against only MAC opponents, and and so you know if they had played a non-conference schedule, if they you know we try to extrapolate, they're playing Wisconsin next year. Wisconsin, one of the best defenses in college football uh, in 2020. So you know they're, they're, that's going to that's going to hurt because they're probably not going to be able to uh, have the same success against Wisconsin as they would other teams. But winnable games, St. Francis, an FCS opponent, and we talk actually about we've talked about a couple of uh, St. Francis transfers losing their quarterback, losing their wide receiver to South Carolina. So you have to think, okay, a couple of their most talented guys are gone. That you would expect is a, is going to be a win. Winnable game at UMass. Winnable game against Texas State. You know this this Eastern Michigan team is is capable of beating anybody in the MAC on a given day. Chris Crichton, the head coach there, has done really a tremendous job, and this is a a team that consistently outperforms their talent numbers. A- at the end of the year, they rank 117th in our overall roster strength numbers. They rank 114th on offense. They rank 124th on defense. Yet. They've been, you know, they've they've been coached well enough and and developed well enough that they are in the low 100s in our final power ranking. So this is a a team that consistently has been able to uh, overachieve. Even a two and four record last year was an overachievement. This was a team that had a, uh, you know, faced every opponent it faced, even in its MAC only schedule, had a higher roster strength rating at the time of, of uh, kickoff, uh, according to our numbers. So they got two wins, but they beat a more talented team in both of those games. And the four losses, they lost to a more talented team, according to our numbers. So, uh, again, I, I feel pretty positive. And, and, you know, if they're bringing in a, a quarterback to uh, challenge Preston Hutchinson for that job, I think that's only going to improve the team, the running back position. They really have, you know, three quality young running backs. Uh, Darius Boone was a, a redshirt freshman, ended up leading them in rushing. They had a true freshman, DJ Smith, who was, uh, you know, had a, a real positive buzz early in the, uh, like in the in the uh, late preseason, early offseason. Uh, and then they have a, a transfer from Iowa as well, who's in the mix, Samson Evans. So I, I think that they've got now, you know, uh, some pieces to really feel positive about 
especially on offense. And, you know, they're a team that that is just a tough out every time they step on the field. So, you know, they're probably going to continue to be the least talented team in, you know, nine out of every 10 games they play. But I think at this point, Creighton has done enough. And, and you know, we've seen some positive momentum with some of the players playing above the level of, of you know, what we would expect uh, based on their you know, numbers coming out of high school. They have an all-MAC defensive back. Uh, you, you know, Scott, you mentioned uh, Myrick at, at linebacker. Teron Rush had a lot of uh, success as a, a pass rusher, four and a half sacks. So there's a lot to like, I think, about Eastern Michigan. They, they won't be the favorite in the MAC or, or you know, favorite in their division, but uh, they're they're going to be a difficult team to beat week in and week out. Yeah, Xavier, do you have the same, uh, you know, positive feelings on Eastern Michigan? It seems like one of the more, uh, you know, one of the teams that we can uh, see from this group that definitely looks like they're going to be improving in 2021. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think, once again, we look, we, we can just start the schedule. I think they can go 3-1 and one in their non-conference schedule. You know, do I pick them over Texas State, UMass, and St. Francis? Yeah. Do I pick them over Wisconsin? No, but that's already three and one right there. And I think that's a confident. I'll say that confidently. I think that's three and one. And then we get into Maction. And once you get into Maction, who knows what happens? Yeah. You know, the, the Mac is just wide open every yeah. year. It's like, hey, Ball State finished last or almost close to last in 2019. Okay, cool. They're going to finish like third in 2020. It just doesn't matter when you're in the Mac. You know, as long as you can stay competitive, you're going to have an opportunity to be in every single game that you're in. So I'm going to, this is going to be my first team. I'm going to put it in the bowl. In a bowl next year, I think Eastern Michigan makes a bowl. I think six wins is fairly – I could go six wins and be confident with them. Uh, when we look at the recruiting trail, recruiting-wise, they finished higher. Once again, another weird scenario. They finished higher nationally, lower in their conference. They finished 103 nationally. They finished 107 in 2020. They finished ninth in the MAC this year when they finished sixth last year. I don't know if that's anything indicative of maybe two four seven can yeah, two four seven correspondent can come on here and tell me what's going on with these rankings. Uh, but I, you know, I think Eastern Michigan, like we said, is a team that can compete, and as long as you can compete in the MAC, you have a chance week in and week out. I like them to go six wins and get a bowl game. All right, the next team up here on the list is Charlotte, two and four last year. Had a couple coaching changes. Herb Hand uh, named the new offensive line coach. Uh, moving over from Texas, Joe Cox, a new tight ends coach uh, from South Carolina, where he was a receivers coach. Uh, they got seven transfers in, including a big-time four-star quarterback from Texas A&M, and they are returning Chris Reynolds, the quarterback, Aaron McAllister, uh, the running back. I know he got injured at the end of the year. I don't know how bad that was. And then Victor Tucker, who was all-conference for them, uh, comes back as well. They were the 101st-ranked uh, recruiting class, Nick. What do you think about Charlotte moving forward into 2021? Yeah, Charlotte, I think, is is sort of the perfect example uh, when I think of, you know, let's not base too much of our 2021 uh, thoughts or projections on 2020 because they were just completely interrupted week in and week out by COVID issues, whether it was on their end, on the opponent's end. Uh, they had, I, I believe I saw nine different games were canceled or postponed. So they had games you know, canceled, rescheduled, canceled again. All that was just a, a complete mess, day-to-day, week-to-week, uh, just trying to navigate what was the 2020 college football season, everything off the field. So very, very difficult for them to pick up any sort of uh, momentum. 
Chris Reynolds, I, you know, was was uh, hobbled at, at times. Has shown a lot of uh, really, you know, positive traits in in the past. Uh, had some good passing numbers this year: seven and a half yards per pass attempt, eight to two touchdown to interception ratio. He was only able to run for thirty six uh, yards this past year after having over 700, 776 in 2019. So, you know, he was definitely limited in, in his ability to run the football. But, you know, part of that, they, they had uh, a little bit more to work with at the running back position. Trey Hardison transferred from Northern Illinois. He is off to the NFL. I've seen some conflicting things about Aaron McAllister. So uh, I, I thought I saw something that said that he was headed to the NFL, but then I, I saw something that said that they might have expected him back. We, we might have to wait on some uh, final clarification there. But, you know, Reynolds is going to get pushed by Foster coming in from Texas A&M, uh, and, and he's got – receivers to work with. So there is plenty to be excited about there. Victor Tucker is maybe the best receiver in Conference USA coming back. And, and he's not the only guy uh, who's a playmaker uh, at that position for Charlotte. And, and you know, coming off of the momentum that they had in 2019, getting to a bowl, uh, you know, Will Healy has more enthusiasm than maybe any other coach in college football uh, with the possible exception of PJ Fleck. But, you know, he's a guy that, that, you know, seems to, to be able to get his team excited. And, and uh, so I, I think that, you know, we shouldn't read too much into the struggles that they had on the field in, in 2020, uh, but that he will be able to kind of get this team back uh, to, to contending in 2021. And, and uh, you know, I want to see how the, that running back situation shakes out. The offensive line from a just our numbers standpoint is a, is a concern. Uh, Herb Hand, I think, you know, how in the world Charlotte was able to hire Herb Hand, who's been at just, you know, big time blue blood programs in his career has had a lot of success as well, but for them to be able to pull him is, is an absolute uh, huge hire because offensive line at Charlotte ranked 130th in our uh, talent rankings at that position at the end of the 2020 season. So that's, that's a big area of concern, but when you bring in a guy who's, you know, so well regarded as an offensive line coach like her hand, I think you're going to be able to uh, elevate that to, you know, maybe not an elite level. I'm not saying that they're going to automatically become the best offensive line unit in uh, Conference USA, but I think he will be able to get uh, the most out of that unit because already from a talent standpoint, it was the worst in college football, according to our numbers. And then they lost their center, who is uh, entering the NFL draft. And then they lost arguably their, their most talented uh, true freshman, uh, Takias Crawford, transferred to Arkansas to play for another highly regarded offensive line coach in, in Sam Pittman. So, you know, uh, Hand is, is going to have his hands full trying to rebuild that unit just from a uh, talent standpoint. But I do believe that he's going to be able to, to you know, uh, put together a, a at least a competent unit there. Defensively, I'm a little more concerned. Uh, Charlotte ranked 124th in tackles for loss per game. Uh, they rank 117th in defensive returning production, according to ESPN's 
Bill Connolly. And, you know, there were some some uh, real spots of concern. They ranked 104th in yards per play allowed. Uh, they ranked 90th in points per drive allowed. So, you know, defensively, 106th in, in success rate against. So, you know, they, they, they have some improvement to, to do on both sides of the football. And they are able to, you know, have been able to, to bring in uh, some transfers on the defensive side that, that I think will be able to, you know, probably get a couple of immediate starters, uh, especially when you're talking about uh, Devondre Robinson, who, who had such a great start to his career at East Carolina, come in and, and he's likely to start as a, a, a safety day one. Jonathan Alexander from Kansas State, they brought in a transfer uh, from Troy, who we can expect to, to be in the mix for uh, playing time, Justin Wisenhunt at linebacker. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be a more talented team. They're going to have talent to work with. And I am a believer in Will, uh, Will Healy. I think he will have this team competitive week in and week out in 2020. And, you know, he's got one of the better quarterbacks to work with in, in Conference USA. That's a great uh, starting point as well. So despite some real red flags in, in 2020 on the field, part of that I think we can explain away to the pandemic. But I, I do think that Charlotte is on an upward trend uh, looking ahead to 2021. Do you share the same enthusiasm for Charlotte in 2021, Xavier? I, I would say no. I, I, I'm more on the fence. Nick, I did a little bit of research as to why Herb Head said he took the job, and he says it was because of his relationship with Coach Healy uh, as the reason why he accepted the position. Um, that's the only thing I can get from that. Uh, but what I will say is when you look at Charlotte on the recruiting trail, this is where the only place where I see a cause for concern. Now, once again, this could have been a team, and, and Nick, you've alluded to it a lot, and, and what you were saying, that Charlotte feels like they probably already have a team ready to go for the 2021 season, and maybe they're just, you know, bolstering the decks with their current recruiting class, and they don't expect any of these guys to have to come in and start right away, uh, at least from the high school recruiting class. I'm not talking about the transfers when I say that. Uh, but when you look at it from a just pure high school point of view, they finished 107th nationally, or 101st nationally. That's 30 spots lower than what they finished last year. Uh, I think that, you know, maybe they might have some struggles going forward. But, you know, for 2021, I think Nick's absolutely right. They brought in some big-time transfers, and I think that's the real reason why this team is going to have uh, a better 2021 than what they did in 2020. I will go on the limb and say that they will be better than they were last year, record-wise as well. They're only able to pick up two wins. I see more of a 4-5 uh, win team in this uh, on this schedule right now. Their schedule, once again, even non-conference-wise, isn't super daunting when you look at it. They play Duke uh, excuse me, at Georgia State, at Illinois. Those aren't daunting uh, non-conference games. They might be able to win one or two of those. Um, hopefully not against Georgia State, so maybe the other two. But, you know, I, I genuinely think that Charlotte could compete in those matchups, unlike last year where they had to play uh, North Carolina um, and, and teams like that. So I think four to five wins is where I'm willing to go. I don't know if Nick was eluding a bowl game by any means. I don't think that's what he I think it's possible. Yeah, okay. I think it's possible. I mean, the, I, I really do think – there could be five or six different teams could win Conference USA next year. Okay. And I might be tempted to put Charlotte in that mix. I mean, they, they have the quarterback. They have a young, energetic head coach. They've mm -hmm. raised the talent level. The offensive line's a major concern. But, you know, they brought in who I think is on the short list, top 
20 at, at, is being very conservative, saying top 20 offensive line coach in the country. So there's a lot to like, I think, about Charlotte. Okay. So I'm not going to go as far as Nick on that one. Uh, I'll say four. I'll say five wins to be safe uh, with the possible six. So maybe a bowl game is in the future. Now, the next team here I think is the most interesting of this group. It's Illinois. Uh, they were 2-6. and six. Lovey Smith finally gone. Uh, they bring in Brett Bielema, who had been the uh, the New York Giants outside linebackers coach, but, of course, at Arkansas and Wisconsin before mm-hmm. that, where he had uh, a lot of success. Tony Peterson is their new OC. Uh, he was at App State. Ryan Walters, the new D.C. He was in Missouri, D.C. before, and they got some big-time transfers. They got uh, Chase Hayden in from East Carolina, Jafar Armstrong, uh, the running back in from Notre Dame, and linebacker Calvin Hart from NC State, and a safety Eddie Smith from Alabama, and a decent recruiting class at 74th. Not very high among the Big Ten, but a decent one as far as this group of teams goes. So uh, your outlook on Illinois for 2021 with a whole you know, new revamped uh, coaching staff here, Nick, and – a uh, decent amount of transfers in as well. I, I think that as much as I like Lovey Smith, uh, I, I think that they needed to make a change. And, and I feel like Brett Bielema is, uh, you know, just from a, a you know, just it's going to be a little bit of a shock to the system. And, and I feel like Illinois needed that, just a, a, a hard turn. And they're going to, you know, just really lean into that Bielema mindset, it seems. Just my my gut is that, okay, yeah, we're going to get back to a little more old school, a little more of what we saw under Bielema at Wisconsin, where it was lineup, you know, fullbacks part of it, tight ends involved a lot, run the football. And, you know, I, I, I am a little sad about that because I, I did like that we got to see uh, Isaiah Williams uh, summit Illinois last year, very dynamic, uh, you know, small 5'10", 180, but when he was in there at quarterback, was really able to do some good things, especially on the ground. And I know he's played some other positions there in the past, but I was I was looking uh, ahead to 2021 and like, okay, if, you know, maybe he can build on that success and they can really build the offense around him. Well, now the extra year of eligibility, Brandon Peters uh, has said that he's coming back. He just sort of fits that uh, Brett Bielema profile, what we expect from uh, the quarterback position, you know, under Bielema. Williams just doesn't, you know, isn't a natural fit based on what I expect the offense to look like. And, and Tony Peterson at, you know, Appalachian State has done some good, you know, some some unique things and, and uh, isn't necessarily going to just say, yeah, we're going to be, you know, 2008 Wisconsin. Uh, but I, I just, I feel like it's going to be closer uh, to that style of play than what we, you know, saw at Illinois and, and what, you know, would be a system where Williams would be best suited for success. So will he move to receiver? Will he uh, perhaps, you know, transfer to another school? I I think that uh, both of those are within the realm of possibility. It just doesn't unfortunately seem like he's going to be the best fit at quarterback uh, under the new head coach. But I think overall, the the move to Bielema, there's reason to be optimistic. Peterson is uh, got a good track record as as an offensive coordinator. Uh, I was really impressed that they were able to, to uh, get Walters from Missouri. Uh, Missouri was a pretty good defense for the most part uh, under his uh, under his watch, and and our numbers really you know look pretty uh, pretty kindly on 
Walters. He ranks 37th in our defensive coordinator ratings. That's a big, big improvement over Lovey Smith, who ranked 111th. So that's that's now uh, you know NFL defensive coordinator Lovey Smith, who, who ranked 111th uh, as a as a defensive coordinator according to our numbers, and, and then you know defensively uh, just wasn't really able to have much success at Illinois, and, and last year they ranked 113th in defensive team performance. Uh, that is among the worst, obviously, in, in you know college football. It's among the worst that we're uh, talking about here today. I don't know if you guys, either of you watch, uh, you know, former NFL quarterback J.T. O'Sullivan has a, an excellent YouTube channel, The QB School, uh, and, and does some really good videos on there, has a Patreon, I, I, you know, we subscribe. Uh, and he did a breakdown of Graham Mertz against Illinois. Most of what he does is, is NFL type stuff, but occasionally he'll throw in some uh, some college games as well. And, and he was super impressed, of course, with Graham Mertz and the performance he had against Illinois in that first Big Ten game where he just absolutely carved up uh, the Illini and, and looked like you know a future Heisman Trophy candidate. But and and O'Sullivan's a pretty positive guy for the most part. He doesn't really. Uh, doesn't really, you know, take cheap shots or, or anything like that. But he just couldn't stop, you know, pointing out, man, Illinois is just poorly coached defensively, and that's a that's an issue because yeah. you know, Lovey Smith and his coaching staff went into the transfer portal heavy. I mean, they were they were one of the P five programs. They in Miami, starting in what 2019, uh, were were the first, I think, to really lean into. Okay, we're going to get talented guys who just things didn't work out elsewhere. And they had some success uh, doing that. I mean, they, they were able to, to pick up a, a big time uh, pass rusher out of, uh, you know, USC a couple of years ago and uh, Iwale Batiku. But, you know, for the most part, <laughs> it just hasn't worked out, especially on, on the defensive side of the ball. And part of that's poor coaching. And, and you have to think, okay, you know, Walters, who's had success at Missouri, Bielema is a defensive-minded coach as well, has had some good uh, units in, in his past. And then they were actually also able to snag the defensive coordinator from SMU, who, though he doesn't uh, rank very highly in our numbers, is uh, somebody that, that has a lot of people in the coaching industry really excited. And, and so they were able to grab another former play caller as their uh, linebackers coach there. So I think that this is going to be a better coached defense. And, and they do inherit – some talent. Uh, they were able to to uh, get their you know top pass rusher uh, Owen Carney Jr. briefly went into the transfer portal. Uh, he is coming back to Illinois and coming back for that extra year. Linebacker, they have to completely start over. Jake Hansen is one of the most productive linebackers in the Big Ten. Uh, Milo Eilfer is also gone. Both of those guys are entering the NFL draft, and then Nate Hobbs, starting corner, has, has announced that he's not. Uh, going to uh, use that extra year of eligibility either. So there is going to be some, you know, uh, some holes that they've got to fill in that back seven. But I think that they're going to be able to take a step forward on the field. Uh, they just have to kind of, you know, rebuild the roster because Smith, Lovey Smith did rely so much on transfers, basically kind of punted on high school recruiting uh, in, in 2019. That class that Isaiah Williams signed, uh, they had nine, ten guys and, and then just went to the transfer portal. They brought in some big time, you know, fairly big, you know, four star guys, Williams being one of those. And, and uh, 
Marquez Beeson was highly, highly touted, a guy that's uh, probably, you know, going to continue to play a big role in, in the secondary there. But, you know, for the most part, just didn't, <laughs> you know, didn't fill out the the second half of that class. So I feel like Bielema is, is going to uh, change that philosophy, is going to, you know, take more of an approach of, hey, we need to recruit the Midwest a little bit more. Levy Smith and, and his staff really concentrated on Florida as, as their primary recruiting area. I think that's going to change. I think just sort of the, the feel around the program is, is going to shift a little bit. It's going to simplify things and, and on offense and, and then maybe maybe uh, make things a little more complex on defense. And, and hopefully that'll be the right fit. Because I think Illinois does have, uh, you know, I, I think you can win again at Illinois. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure that it's going to be in 2021. But, you know, they're in the Big Ten West. There's plenty of room for movement up the, the standings in the Big Ten West. I don't think that they're that far behind, you know, the the – even Northwestern, who represented that uh, division last year, they're probably going to take a step back. Illinois can compete with Northwestern. Illinois can compete with, uh, you know, Nebraska, with Minnesota, with Purdue. And, and those are not unwinnable games on the schedule every year. So, you know, and, and this was a team that went to a bowl game in, in 2019. So, you know, they, they were able to raise the talent level a little bit with transfers. They were able to pick up, you know, cherry pick a few four stars here and there just weren't able to win enough weren't able to coach those guys up well enough uh to win enough games and, and eventually moved on from lovey smith but i think there are enough pieces that bielema and his new staff can build upon that are already there and then i think they will do a better job recruiting along the line of scrimmage developing those guys and, and then playing a little bit better on defense and, and i think we'll see maybe this is a team that doesn't win more games in 2021 but looks better week to week is more consistent week to week and i think that'll be a sign of improvement in 2021 and then you know then we'll start to see okay is this something that bielam and his staff really can build into a consistent bowl contending type team uh for the next several years yeah i think uh xavier nick is right you can absolutely win at illinois we've seen them win in the past and uh, I think it's just going to take a little bit to build, like Nick mentioned. So maybe temper expectations for 2021 as you're building this. And then in the future, 2022 and beyond, uh, that's when you expect the Illini to start really competing. Absolutely. You know, Nick hit it right on the head. This is a team that on the recruiting trail did absolutely nothing when it came to high school recruiting. Uh, you know, they finished 88th last year in recruiting. Uh, they finished dead last in the Big Ten uh, in recruiting last year as well. This year they finished 74th in recruiting, so we're already seeing more of a focus on them recruiting uh, out of high school. Uh, they only bring in five transfers, um, you know, from some pretty big schools, though. Notre Dame, Alabama, Michigan State, NC State, and East Carolina, uh, where all five transfers are from. But, you know, you already see the focus of the future, not just the now. You know, I, and I think that's why Lovey Smith works for the NFL. They're in win-now mode over there. He, he's not one to try to build a team and get them prepared for 2022. It's what are going to do this year? And I think, you know, you're absolutely right. Brett Bielen was going to change that philosophy on the recruiting trail. He's already showing. You know, Nick, you brought up a great point. Northwestern was, what, 2-10 last year or two years ago, excuse us? You know, uh, bottom of the Big Ten. People thought that maybe, you know, they had lost their luster. They had lost – you know, a step out there in Northwestern, 
well, they were in the Big Ten Championship this year, and if they didn't forget that Trey Sermons was in the backfield, who knows what happens? So, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, Illinois is a team that we look for the future, for them to be better, you know, three, four years from now. I think Illinois is going to be one of those teams that are in the middle of that conference, uh, especially on their side, it's, uh, in the middle of the Big Ten West, and can compete. Uh, I, I love Brett Bielema as the hire. I really do love him. Uh, getting a second chance at this. Uh, and I really think he's going to take Illinois uh, from the basement, you know, to the first floor. So I, I like this for them going forward. And, and I think I'm not going to say they're going to go, you know, they're going to have an amazing 2021. You know, their schedule is still pretty daunting, even in the non-conference. They pick up Purdue. Uh, they do have Charlotte, who we just talked about, UTSA as well. So I'm not guaranteeing a 3-0 start or a 3-0 non-conference schedule either. Uh, I just think that they, like you said, Nick, they will be better and they will look better than what they did last year. Uh, the next team up on the list here is Eastern Carolina, 3-6 uh, and six for East Carolina last year. Uh, they are returning some good players spe uh, specifically on offense, Col uh, Holden Aylers, Rajai Harris, and Tyler Sneed all coming back, cornerback uh, Jaquan McMillan also coming back. They had a lot of COVID issues last year. But they did end the season with two dominant wins, 28 to three at Temple and 52 to 38 over SMU. Uh, a lot of positivity from the coaching staff to end the season. They got a big time transfer in linebacker Ryan Jones, a four star from Oklahoma. So it looks like the needle is going to be pointing in the right direction for ECU here, Nick. What do you think about the Pirates moving forward in 2021? Yeah, I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about. East Carolina. I mean, they, they bring, they're expecting to bring back 20 of 22 starters, which is, you know, uh, everybody's going to be experienced in, in 2021, but that's toward the upper echelon of, you know, okay, we're, we're basically working with the same team and uh, they made a lot of progress defensively, especially had a first year defensive coordinator and you know the the just raw stats don't necessarily show a, a huge amount of improvement, but this was a, a a unit that when we look at some of our advanced numbers, really took a big step forward. Seventy seventh in yards per play allowed, sixty fourth in EPA per play on defense, sixty sixth points per drive allowed, seventy fourth yards per pass attempt allowed, and sixty third in success rate against. And you know this was. In 2019, uh, a unit that ranked triple digits basically across the board, you know, uh, standard uh, uh, statistics or advanced stats. I mean, just a bad, bad defense in 2019. And, and they really became a respectable unit and were pretty young, especially up front, had to completely rebuild their defensive line, uh, had young guys at, at linebacker as well. You know, the, the secondary was relatively experienced, had some some bright spots. But, uh, you know, to, to see this become a legitimate middle of the pack AAC defense with the opportunity to be even better in 2021, I, I think is uh, the biggest reason for optimism because, you know, we, we've seen offensive success in the past. We've seen the potential that Holden Aylers has, has had as a quarterback. Uh, hasn't been very consistent, but his highs are pretty high. And, you know, the end of the season, absolutely a, a big, uh, you know, entering the offseason with optimism, uh, with momentum. Uh, you know, I, I absolutely agree with that. The running back position, they had two you know, Rajay Harris was was a one of the best 
true freshman running backs in the country. They had another guy who was really pretty good as well. Uh, they, that's a, a you know a uh, running back duo that will technically again be uh, freshmen in. 2021. So a lot to like there. The receiver core should be very good. Tyler Sneed is, is kind of that, you know, uh, slot guy, catches a ton of passes, was targeted 72 times last year. They will lose Blake, Blake Prohl, who entered the NFL draft early. But C.J. Johnson was the guy who was getting some, you know, preseason All-American buzz in, in 2020. Uh, had a huge true freshman season. In 2019, took a little bit of a step back just as far as is, you know, uh, what your eyes see in the box score or, or, you know, on the stat sheet at the end of the season. But he's a guy that led the team in touchdowns. He was tackled on the like one inch line twice, uh, you know, had a couple of drops in the end zone. So could have potentially been a double digit touchdown guy. He got a little. Uh, got a little husky, I think, in the offseason. I think he came in close to 240 uh, at the start of fall camp. And, and so I, I saw that there that will be a little bit of a point of emphasis in the coaching staff, get him down into that 220 range, uh, you know, lost maybe a step uh, in, in 2020, but he's a big target. You know, he's, he's somebody that is a physical receiver. He's definitely a red zone threat. But Ehlers has got – uh, not only those two, Snead and, and Johnson, but there are guys to like a little bit lower on that uh, receiver depth chart as well who have some untapped potential. The offensive line, they will lose their best offensive lineman to the NFL draft, but he was uh, injured and, and didn't really play most of last season. So they'll bring back all five guys who uh, started on the offensive line for the majority of the season. They uh, had even beyond that group of five uh, unit up front get experience because they did have, unfortunately, uh, their starting left tackle who took over at starting left tackle uh, got hurt late in the year. So they were able to, to roll in, you know, a sixth guy, seventh guy to get starting experience there. So uh, there, there are a lot of reasons to think that East Carolina will be able to carry over that end of season success, build upon a pretty solid foundation on offense and then take that defense to the next level under a, a second year defensive coordinator. I've been saying, and, and our numbers have liked East Carolina for the last couple of years. I've been saying that they are a real rising program, uh, have the ability to get to bowl eligibility more often than not are the more talented team, according to our roster strength numbers. They just haven't, you know, they just haven't done it yet. And there were some signs of success in 2020. There's reason to think again that, that they will be able to take that next step. But there's a, a little part in, in the back of my mind that says, man, I've, I've been kind of optimistic about East Carolina two years in a row now <laughs> doing this. And, and they haven't quite lived up that to that potential. And this isn't the first season we've seen where they really ended on a high note. I mean, they, you know, at the end of 2019, Holt Mailers looked like uh, an All-American quarterback and, and just wasn't able to, to start on that same level in 2020 for obvious reasons that everybody else is, is, is dealing with. But, you know, eventually I think East Carolina will be a winning program again. And the, this 2021 group seems like they might be the ones – to do it. I, I think that, that we should expect 
East Carolina to, to make a bowl game. And if they don't, it'll be a major disappointment. Do you share that same enthusiasm, Xavier, with the expectation of uh, ECU making a bowl game? Uh, I don't know where Nick's getting this from. I'm not. I'm not. Let's listen. I'm not as excited uh, about ECU as Nick is. Uh, you know, maybe you know those last couple of games out in the stretch really will lead to them being you know better in 2021, and, and they'll carry that confidence over. Or maybe they just won two games to end the season. I mean, re- really, you know, when we when I when I look at those two wins and when we piggyback off of it, I'm looking at an SMU team that couldn't play defense last year if you paid them to. Uh, so 52 points versus SMU. Well, where impressive, you still give up 38. And, and Temple, who they could were not- winning that game 45 to seven at halftime. And I know that's it, it. I I I definitely try to guard myself to say you know one game like in a bowl game that doesn't we can't we can't take too much from one game. We certainly can't take too much from one half. But they were beating SMU 45 to seven at halftime. So, and, 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 I, and I will take that with a grain of salt, just like I want to take those three wins with a grain of salt. I'm sorry. <laughs> ECU has been a team over the last couple of years that has put together some weird wins, okay? ECU has also been a team that I cannot put my finger on, and so I'm not prepared to go ahead and say that they're going to win six games and they're going to be a bowl game, a bowl team next year. So for me, I still have them – you know, more in the three to four win range. Uh, their future is not looking nearly as bright as what Nick wants to make it out. If we're looking at the just a recruiting trail, they finished 96th nationally on the recruiting trail this year. That's 22 spots under where they dropped in 2020 when they finished 74th. They finished eighth in the AAC, only above Temple, Navy, and Tulsa. And we'll get to Tulsa at some point, but their whole recruiting saga has just been weird. Uh, but, you know, if you're finishing above Navy, that should probably be a, a given, but being that close is probably not comfortable. Uh, for me, I just I'm not ready to jump on no bandwagon. I'm just not going to. Uh, I, Nick has jumped on bandwagons before that I've been hesitant to do. <laughs> we all remember USF, and we will never forget USF. Uh, so I, I, I'm I'm gonna say four wins. I'll say four to five, uh, but that's the farthest I'll go. I'm not ready to put Eastern Carolina in a bowl game just yet. All right, the last team here doesn't have nearly the amount of excitement that some of these other teams do, as far at least in my opinion. Uh, North Texas was four and six. They fired their defensive coordinator Clint Bowen. They brought in Phil Bennett as their new DC. They lost some big time players in the transfer portal. Jason Bean, Trey Siggers, to uh, you know, went to SMU. Twelve others. They brought in only four. They lost uh, Darden to the NFL. 80th ranked recruiting class, Nick. Uh, North Texas seems to be going in the wrong direction as far as I'm concerned. What do you think about them moving forward into 2021? I'm a, I'm a bit concerned, and, and this is only the second bowl team that we've talked about this, uh, this recap series. Uh, they you know, did end up finishing with a losing record, and, and Jalen Darden uh, did not play in the bowl game. So you know, a lot of the – if, if uh, any of our patrons out there are, are looking at our – FBS team profiles, look at the, the position and unit ratings and rankings, uh, or if they uh, look back at, at this set of notes, you know, it's a little bit misleading because we have North Texas as 107 in our recruiting, uh, or excuse me, in our uh, receiver ratings and 92nd on offense. Jalen Darden was a 100 rated player who ended up not playing in the bowl game. So these, these rankings reflect him uh, not being 
available. They also didn't have at that time their starting quarterback uh, eligible to to play in that game, uh, Jason Bean. But or no, excuse me, Austin Ani was was out that game. I don't know. Anyway, the quarterback position (laughs) was was a a bit of a revolving door. Bean started most of the games. Ani ended up actually uh, being the leading passer. Bean is gone, but. You know, Scott mentioned uh, transfer portal has been a a, a, a theme, certainly leaving uh, North Texas, but coming in as well. They did uh, bring in, you know, a couple of guys to, to compete for that uh, quarterback position. They brought in a transfer from Kentucky who was on campus in 2020, not able to play in uh, Amani Gilmore. But they most recently and, and perhaps more notably brought in a, a transfer from North Carolina, Jace Reuter, who was a former four star uh, player who we expect, you know, has an opportunity really to uh, win this job. And, and Ani is kind of a, a unique case, former professional baseball player come back. So he's what, 27, 28 now, mm-hmm. something something like that. Yeah, he's, he's uh, you know, a little more mature and, and uh was a a highly uh, thought of prospect coming out of high school, but, you know, wasn't really able to nail down this uh, starting quarterback job this past year as they were trying to transition from Mason Fine and, and, you know, Darden not being there anymore. I mean, he was – Darden was one of my favorite uh, receivers to watch in in college football. He's one of the most productive receivers that we've seen in a, a long, long time and was just a, a go-to guy. He was basically the uh, offensive weapon uh, in the passing game for North Texas last year. And, and you know, they will have a little less depth at the running back position. You mentioned uh, Sickers has gone to SMU. They will be bringing back DeAndre Torrey. They will be bringing back Oscar Attaway. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of moving parts on offense. And, and though North Texas – did perform really quite well, 31st in yards per play, uh, 41st in EPA per play on offense, 41st in points per drive, 40th in success rate, 25th in yards per pass attempt. So that's that's getting to the, the levels of, hey, this was a really good passing offense when, when they chose to throw. They were successful more often than not. And, you know, They've had good offenses under Seth Luttrell there at North Texas. The problem has been defense. So I, I think that whatever that offense ends up looking like, I, I expect, you know, we'll be talking in uh, August about some newcomers there at North Texas. I would think that they'll add a couple of receivers maybe through the transfer portal, maybe some uh, guys to shore up that offensive line. But defensively, that's where the the work needs to be done. And Phil Bennett's a, a pretty big name. He's been at some some big places. I think this might be his first G five coaching job. I mean, he's he's been at uh, Baylor. He'd been at Arizona State. He was at SMU. Oh no, he was at SMU. I guess that's G five. But but uh, you know, a, a guy who's who's uh, been a factor at uh, a lot of you know, pretty big time programs, and, and has uh, been out of the game for a year or two, and and coming back kind of, you know, has to rebuild a unit that not only performed very poorly, but not a lot of experience coming back. Not a lot of guys who uh, had success on the field, but then not a lot of guys who who picked up a lot of playing time either. So, you know, North Texas last year finished 120th yards per play allowed, 119th EPA per play on defense, 120th points per drive allowed, 100. 
first in yards per pass attempt allowed, 95th in success rate against. So pretty much across the board, struggled to, to keep teams in check. So played a lot of shootouts, gave up a ton of yards, ton of points. They ended up finishing uh, 125th in scoring defense. Only Bowling Green and Kansas allowed more points per excuse me, per game. So, uh, you know, it's going to, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult and they're probably going to lose their best defensive player to the NFL as well. Dion Noble, uh, who had eight tackles for loss and, and really kind of held things together there in the middle of that defensive line. They do have some building blocks, a couple of twin linebackers who, uh, combined for seven and a half sacks last year. Uh, you know, Quinn Whitlock at, at uh, one of the starting defensive backs had six pass breakups. Katie Davis had 75 tackles. So, you know, there are some bits and pieces here, but, uh, you know, this was also a unit that allowed 31 plays of over 30 yards. So uh, only eight other teams in college football allowed more last season. So there's uh, not – I don't have a real optimistic feel because though the offense has had success, they are losing by far the best player that they've had in, in quite a while. The quarterback position is not solidified, even though there were you know some positive things about what Ostinani did, uh, and there are some talented guys coming in. If they don't, uh, you know, the, I think it 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 held them back a little bit. They rotated those guys last year. Both Bean and Ani had success, but I think the 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 offense didn't benefit from one guy going in, one guy getting pulled, uh, you know, all, all of that. So I, I don't have real high hopes for North Texas taking a step forward. They're in a very fertile recruiting area, should have easy access to kind of that second tier guys who, who don't go to Texas, Texas A&M, SMU, who don't go out of state. They've got a chance to, to gobble up some, you know, mid to high three-star guys and, and develop those into really solid players. And in the early years of, of Seth Luttrell's, you know, success there when Mason Fine was uh, there at quarterback and a real solidifying force for the program, you know, they were able to to, to do that, to, to build upon that and, and have a lot of success on the field uh, by getting those type of guys and, and developing them. And right now when there's so many leaving and so many new faces coming in uh, from other college programs, you know, it doesn't always mesh well. And, and you know, hopefully – the change in defensive coordinator will will uh, be able to make some improvements on that side of the ball, uh, but it's a it's a little bit of a tricky situation when you're trying to incorporate a lot of transfers from other programs. So I expect that that we will hear more uh, additions in, in the transfer portal from North Texas, especially on the defensive side of the ball. That's good from a pure talent standpoint, but. You know, I, I, it makes me a little bit nervous as well that, that just things aren't necessarily trending in the right direction and there's just too much uh, movement from a roster standpoint in and out. So I don't have, I don't have really, really uh, high expectations for North Texas. They absolutely can win week in and week out in Conference USA. I just, I just don't really trust them, if that makes sense. So I, I don't really trust them to... Uh, be able to take that next step to rely on them to get back to a bowl game next year. I think that, you know, four wins, five wins, uh, they'll be competitive. But right now, I, I just don't trust them to, to 
be able to consistently win enough to, to move back into that upper tier in Conference USA. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to describe North Texas, Xavier, is their trustability is very, very low at this point because of the guys moving out, because of some of the changes and uh, all that stuff. So your thoughts on the 2021 North Texas team here? Yeah, I'm I'm right with Nick. This is a this is a weird team to kind of gauge coming into next year, but it's a team I do not think is going to get anywhere near a bowl game. Uh, I think this is a team that maybe pulls out two or three wins. Uh, when you look at their non-conference schedule, they should beat Northwestern State. Uh, but at, I, after that, it's pretty much it. You know, it's, it's a crapshoot after that. You know, they play Missouri. That's not a guarantee. They play SMU. That's not a guarantee at all. Uh, and so when you when you look at their schedule, they would have to really perform well in the conference. And I don't know if they're going to be able to do that uh, going into this year. We look at them on the recruiting trail, though. They do have some positivity there. They finished second in the conference this year in uh, in recruiting uh, for the second straight year. Uh, Nick, you're absolutely right. They benefit from all the Texas talent. Did you you just can't write enough about how much talent is in Texas? And you know it's actually kind of weird how little some how little they've been able to kind of transform that talent into wins, being in such a hotbed for college fo- uh, for excuse me for high school football. Uh, so that's that's a bit of a concern. Uh, they finished 80th nationally, but I'm not gonna I, I, I'm not I'm gonna stop caring about these weird rankings uh, nationally. I'm gonna focus more on the conference side. Uh, and I think you know this is a team like I said, three wins maximum, maybe four. They squeak one out somewhere in uh, throughout conference USA. I just don't see where they pick up enough wins to make it to a bowl game. Uh, maybe in a couple of years, they've been able to continue this string of decent and good recruiting throughout the conference and are able to st- put together a team in 2022 or 2023. But as of right now, three to four wins is all I can really give them. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for the show today. Going through the teams uh, here, you know, uh, we had 110 through 101. So in the next show where we're reviewing teams, we will get out of the triple digits. Yes. We'll be down to double digits only moving forward. So, and then single digits, of course, at the very, very end. But, uh, you know, long way to go to get there. But, uh, you know, silver lining for some of these teams. Uh, but like, like we mentioned before, most of them are going to be middling where we don't see a lot of improvement. We don't see the, you know, where these teams can improve, but, uh, you know, this is where we're at, uh, so far. So, but a lot of these teams getting new head coaches, you know, it's going to take a year or two for them to step right in. But, uh, and we had a lot of that today, but that is going to wrap it up for us. Remember you can find us all on Twitter at CFB winning edge for Nick at Xavier underscore Trish T R I C H E for Xavier and at Bogdan sports for me. We will see you guys next week should be back on the regular schedule. Uh, for next week. So uh, look for those shows to come out on Wednesday and Thursday, of course, and uh, we will see you then. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.